Welcome to I Don't Get It, the pop culture get off my lawn cast featuring the open-minded musings of two early 40s curmudgeons staring deep in the prospect of entertainment irrelevance. I'm your co-host, Bill Scurry of American Caesar Enterprises, and I'm joined by Noah Tarnow, my regular steady co-host of the big quiz thing. Noah, how are you? I'm good, Bill. Uh, here I am. You're in, Ca- uh, you're in New York. I'm in California. Uh, Good to hear your voice as always. That could change it. That could so- change at a moment's notice, though. I know. I should have said something more interesting there. That was a very bad tag there. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm in a new spot here. I'm, I'm I'm recording not from my apartment, but from my office. Mm-hmm. So bold new horizons for uh, I don't get it. And you're, you're sitting on one of those core balance balls too, trying exactly to, uh, at a standing exactly. desk, right? Just trying to right. And we- we have our own barista here you know, in the San Francisco <laughs> offices. We actually do have a new uh, flavored seltzer machine mounted to the wall, which just showed up last week. Wow! So it's it's located right near the uh, right near the beanbag chairs. So you know we're we're fitting in in the Bay Area. Yeah. Uh, well, I like the fact that again you can expense this all to the uh, I don't yes. get it expense account. Right. Right. Well, once once uh, once our fourth. Uh, our fourth secretary is added to the payroll. We're kind of uh, shorthanded at the moment. <laughs> well, I, the problem is I used all that money on the indoor skydiving fan. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the problem with us, Bill, is that there's some people don't really understand what we're lying about and what we're telling the truth about. <laughs> well, that's, that's, like, that's my problem you don't in go life. Skydive, but I am in an office with a new flavored, sparkled beverage. Now, granted, this is not the I don't get it office, but uh, it's an office nonetheless, and I am here. So, and hurrah. I do not live with a chimpanzee, uh, no. contrary to what a lot of people actually believe. No, no, no. You, uh, you and J. Fred Muggs had a falling out a couple of years ago, and what okay. do we talk about today, Mister Mister S? This week's topic is Mister Aziz Ansari of South Carolina yes. of the South Carolina yes. Ansaris. <laughs> He is a 34-year-old, currently in the year 2017, he's a 34-year-old comedian, well-known for his Emmy and Peabody-winning Netflix series Master of None, as well as a number of hour-long stand-up sets he's done, I believe for Netflix, among other venues, as well as a long-running role on Parks and Recreation, the beloved NBC sitcom where he played Tom Haverford. He started off graduating from NYU, and he did stand-up around New York for a long time. He joined a UCB offshoot sketch group called Human Giant with two gentlemen, uh, one of which is named uh, Paul Shear, and the other is Rob Hubel, and they've both gone on to careers as character actors. And his reach and stretch of success is included near-unanimous critical renown for Master of None, which, to be all, to be fair, he created with a, uh, a co-collaborator named Alan Yang, who was a guy that he met on uh, Parks and Rec. He was part of that Michael Shore sort of office crowd, a bunch of smarty pants who make TV. I think everybody knows who it is we're talking about because he's covered the spread. He's a and celebrity. And he, he's also been in, he's been in American Express ads. American it's Express ads. Right, and yeah. I'm not even mentioning the Apatow movies and funny people. And yes. we'll, I'm sure we'll, we'll get to that. Aziz Ansari, I'm going to kick the uh, rubber uh, playtime nerf dot com kickball over to Noah Tarnow. What do you think of this guy? Let me relate to you the saga of my familiarity and my thoughts about Aziz Ansari. So I think I first became aware of him when uh, that sketch group he was in, Human Giant, was uh, had a show on MTV briefly. And there was a big article about it in Time Out New York, which I read and worked at at the time. There was that. I saw he was, he was especially young at the time. I think he hadn't been doing stand-up very long, and he kind of fell into that. There was that. And then I caught him doing 
doing some stand-up on TV, and I really wasn't impressed. I remember having a thought that he's not telling jokes. He's just He was just telling some story about meeting Kanye West or something, and it seemed really ass-kissy to me and not very clever and just, hey, I'm a funny guy, but not like doing the work of creating content. And I think it's very important to point out here that my dislike of him was largely rooted in jealousy. Um, I attempted to be a stand-up comic for three years. I didn't make it. And I especially felt stung by his success because not only did he seem to make it without spending years paying his dues, he and I are the same type physically. I mean, I'm not Indian, but the gangly, skinny, not traditionally masculine, high-voiced, high-energy, leaping-about, bug-eyed kind of stand-up comic character, that was what I was trying to do. I will vouch I for that, yes. Yes, and I didn't get very far, and he was getting what seemed to me, I don't have all the information, what seemed to me instant and unanimous success. Then the jealousy was compounded when there was some item on him again in Time Out basically saying, he's the hottest comedian in New York. It's, it was something like Aziz Ansari's Guide to Life or something. So we, we had him write something, and clearly he spent like 10 minutes on this thing. It was basically this thing where he's saying, I'm lazy, I don't do anything, I get nothing done. I remember there was some line, like all I do is sit by my computer all day and eat Starburst instead of getting work done. And I said, well, great. <laughs> You don't do jack shit and you're a big success and we're kissing your ass. I worked my ass off and didn't get anywhere. What does that say about me? So again, jealousy abounds. So I didn't have a high opinion of him. And then Master of None came along and everyone's like, you got to see Master of None. It's great. And I'm like, I don't, I'm not a, I don't dig Aziz and sorry. They're like, no, even if you don't like his standup, it's, it's really funny. And, and like two people told me to watch it because he, he references the Buzzcocks and they're my favorite band ever probably. But I was reluctant to watch it. Cut to a week ago where you and I agreed to do Aziz Ansari for this show. And I'm like, all right, fine, I'm going to do it. I'm going to watch Master of None. And I watched the pilot episode and I thought it was okay. Thought it had some problems. I think Eric Wareheim's character is unbelievably annoying. And I think the, the show is plagued with some subpar acting. But... I was entertained enough that I kept watching, and I've watched five or six episodes, and it's hit or miss, but some of it I really like. I think there's some very interesting formal experiments in the show. I think it's very relatable. I think it gets at some very... Uh, the episode we both watched, because it features our friend John Bander, about uh, his history of uh, Tinder dating. They don't call it Tinder, but he's on a swiping app. And it just kind of quick cuts from one date to another almost seamlessly thought that was really well done and it felt yeah. very true to life and it was yep. and it was funny and his character is very likable you know the the episode about uh stereotypes of indians in the media i thought was great the episode that's like the compressed time view of him life day-to-day -day life with his living girlfriend uh i really think the show's got a lot of great stuff one of my first impressions when i watched the pilot was this feels like louis you know louis ck sitcom but like louis light louis without the sting louis without the bite yeah, sure. Uh, so I, I kind of dismissed it, but then there's a place for that, right? Louis is too harsh sometimes. That's my big problem with Louis is that, like, he's in a world where everyone's a bastard, and I just don't find that easy to buy. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, this, is, this show's not bad. Clearly this guy's talented. I'll give his stand-up another chance. So I went to Netflix. I, I looked up his most recent Netflix special. I think it's two years old. He comes out, Madison Square Garden, in front of thousands of cheering people, and I only got through 20 minutes. 
I still think his. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, man. I still think his his stand up is not good. I'm a funny guy, but I'm not creating content. It got me thinking about like what are the hallmarks of really good comedy, or I guess really specifically, good stand ups. Like what what do good stand up performances have? And I, I I made a list of like the qualities you see a lot in good stand up. You know, so they might express uh, observations in a unique way. You know, that's what a good observation comic does. Uh, they might use wordplay. The stand-up might be relatable. Uh, a lot of great stand-up is bold. It speaks truth to power. And in my opinion, other than being relatable, Aziz Ansari does none of these things. He does a, he does a little physical comedy, but it's very basic physical comedy. I remember when I took improv comedy, they said, look, you can, you can jump up and down hyperactively on stage and you'll probably get a laugh, but it's a very easy laugh. It's a cheap laugh. I think he does none of these things. I think his observations are very shallow, doesn't use wordplay, and I do not think he's bold. In fact, I think he's a bit of a kiss-ass. He'll, he'll, he'll say, yeah, men are too much creeps on women. Women get abused, blah, blah, blah. But these are, that isn't bold in front of a New York City liberal crowd. Sucking up, fine. I believe this is what he really believes and what he really cares about. He pushes those issues master of none in a very intelligent, smart, and still entertaining way. It's not a bold stance in liberal New York. Yeah, I think yes. I agree with you that there's something hemispheric about his um, ability. I don't begrudge, uh, you know, I, I don't begrudge the guy his success. I mean, we're, if we're going to jump ahead to the end here. I'll yeah. tell you what, you mentioned the John Banner thing because it's true. One of my good friends was actually given employment by... Um, the production. He showed up in the speed dating episode. He was John Bander was the son of Scatman. Pretty, pretty yeah, not not speed. Da- whoa, 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 Bill, someone who hasn't dated in many years. That wasn't speed dating. That okay. was uh, online dating. dating. So it's like the episode where he gave my friend some work. You know, I was very yeah. happy. We all celebrated when that happened. So that was one of those things. By that point, I'd already watched. I'd already been introduced to the show, and I gave it a thumbs down. I thought the pilot. To your point, the pilot's awful. It is screechingly terrible. I hated uh, it. Every- I, I, I actually didn't think it was that bad. But it I, definitely is. It's the weakest of the five or six episodes I've It's watched. amazing that, you know, sometimes, you know, like with the with the Star Trek Discovery show that people are hashing out now. And, um, you know, you talk about selling a show's premise. Nobody expects a pilot to be awesome, but you do expect it to be a little letter, a stamped envelope sent to the viewer saying, here's what you could expect. And Master of Nuns had none of that. Master of Nuns had, like, Eric Wareheim, who's quite literally a horrific uh, human being. Uh, He's so arch-ironic. I need oh. so much. God. Less of him. I don't watch him and at all. That, and I, and I is need that less supposed of to be him. funny? Him jumping into the bounce castle and yes, it's supposed to be children? funny. That's, that's the thing. It's, it's supposed like to be Eric. Funny? Like, Eric Wareheim appeals. You want to talk about an? I don't yeah. get it. It was false advertising because the difference. Me shutting off the pilot when I was done with the thirty minutes on Netflix and saying, "Well, never need to go back to this again" because I feel like I know what this is all about. And then picking up for the purposes of this investigation some of the later episodes from seasons one and two, and wondering. Who the fuck let that thing out of the gate before it was done cooking? <laughs> Just because there was so yeah. much so yeah. much worthy material and so much value in what was yet to come. I mean, and they won, yeah. uh, was it Lena Waithe won the Emmy for Best Writing? I and think she was it's the first. Is it Waithe or Thwaite? Or? Waithe. It's about time that a person of color who's also happens to be uh yeah i gay. agree i agree but the show has so much uh, worthy value in like yes. you say the formal experiments and in a point of view where like for instance the episodes about parents uh i think it was episode yeah. two from season one where um 
his character Dev and his friend Brian yeah. are both investigating yeah. the past. I love of that. Their, it was incredible. There's so much heart to a lot of it. I mean, that and the one where he hangs out with his girlfriend's grandmother. It's a good show. This guy clearly has something. Just not when he's doing stand-up. Well, it's a fusion of him and his writers because there yeah. is what is... If, if, if you're getting in his stand-up, the unadulterated disease, then I'm guessing that there's a fairly consistent vision of the world and his sense of humor and to be honest that's not what's you know that's not what's represented in the sitcom the sitcom is a more whole idea that seems to be a lot more tempered and sophisticated than his stand-up now i'm not saying that you're going to be able to do the same thing in a stand-up that you are in an episodic tv show but the sensibility of a stand-up is only lightly represented i feel like formally you're getting the input of like alan yang these guys who are more developed as writers story writers whereas you can put aziz this is a great example as i was watching with my wife last night i thought the way larry david had this <laughs> clockwork idea he had a sensibility and a tone and also this incredible acuity for writing up clockwork scripts the stories were these machines unto themselves and if you plug in a jerry seinfeld with his sensibility and jerry seinfeld was a lightweight comedian who was a funny guy didn't do blue material never made anybody angry and yet it still had an effect on the sensibility of the show. My, my little list of the things that are at Hallmark's a good stand-up, you know, started with expressing observations in a unique way. Mm-hmm. And he was the master of that. Yes, you absolutely. Know. You know, all good comics do some some combination of those. George Carlin, best comic ever, because he did all of those things. But anyway, yeah. I, I digress. He had these observations, but the observations aren't enough to just hang a show on because they fall apart. Plenty of comedians have had shows based on observations. I think Seinfeld, for a period of time, made great art, and it was because of the fusion of those things. And I think Yang and Ansari is another great meeting of two people for whom the chemistry works to create something larger than uh, what either of them alone would be able to do. You know, and Alan Yang was involved with Parks and Recreation, where Ansari did a lot of his work in the trenches for a good number of seasons as Tom Haverford, as I mentioned before. And Tom Haverford, as a character, started out as an earnest striver, which I believe that that's where Ansari's sensibility seems to easily point at. And mm-hmm. after a little while, they cracked him, much the same way the 30 Rock writers cracked Tracy Morgan. They figured out, how do I use this strange thing that's jagged that has no use in real life? And they somehow figured out a way to write for the guy. And then Parks and Rec got lazy about it because they were just dishing up these stories where Aziz Ansari's real-life persona seemed to take over the character of Tom Haverford, who at one point was believable and then became farcical. But I can't blame him for that. I'll, I'll blame the writers for that on that show. I just feel like Asian parents, they don't have the emotional reach to say they're proud or whatever. Have you ever hung out with a white person's parents, though? They are crazy nice. I had dinner once with my last girlfriend's mom, and by the end of that meal, she had hugged me more times than my family has hugged me in my entire life. Yeah, dude, most white families, they'd be so psyched to adopt me. Why is he so successful, but I failed? That's a whole other issue. Let's not get into (laughs) it. I, you know what? You, you, this is this putting, putting aside because uh, putting aside that I sucked as a comedian. You were great as a comedian. It's my yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's my word against. About. It's my word against yeah, New yes. York City. And you didn't fail. Yes. You merely decided to do I, something else. I, I quit like, before the inevitable failure came. I have a great answer to this, and this this yes. comes back to another personal. Not only did Aziz Ansari, by indirect action, give a friend of mine a job that wound up being a big career boost. 
also, that's why he's popular. That's uh, why he's great. Because John Bander, exactly. Yeah, but yeah, also, cause, cause Aziz Ansari was a regular of a open mic at the Parkside Lounge that a friend of mine named Sean Taylor used to run, or still does run, I forget. And it was a regular open mic through the late 2000s into the early 2010s. And um, it was mostly one of those improv rooms. And, they, you know, stand would show up to tune up their set. And a lot of people came in and out of that show. And Sean did it for a while. And Sean had a co-host I can't remember. But, you know, he had guys like Todd Barry would show up. Anybody who was looking for a couple of minutes on a Thursday night to tune up their set, they'd do 10 or 15. And, and he would let them in there. And, and it was one of those uh, people who outside of New York might not realize this. But there's a circuit of small mics that are on the regular and people come there to do these sort of check-in tune-up shows to work on material right. and people know about the right. seller but bill to be clear most of them aren't open mics most of them are booked rooms yes this was an open mic there, really right? but aziz had a reg- yeah no that's true we're talking uh, like 2006 2007 it was yeah this is i quit i so i left new york stand-up in '02. so the thing is is that sean would tell me these stories about how aziz would show up with a book and a pen and this laser look in his eyes. And Aziz would show up and, much like Seinfeld, had an annotated book where he was constantly working out material, honing it, striking it. Um, and he would get up and he would do three mics a night, maybe four mics a night. And he would show up on time. He would kill the room. He would adjust his book. He would leave. He would come back the next week. The guy was a scholar. He was assiduously putting in the work. And he was tirelessly going about it. Now, I'm giving him praise based on his uh, acumen. I actually happen to agree with you. I think the stand-up is completely uninspired. It's not funny. It's just not funny. It's likable. But the same, I watched the uh, one that he did a few years ago where he mostly talked about hanging out with Kanye West, and I thought that was extremely extremely lazy. And then the one one that he had done for the Live at Madison Square Garden, which came out in 15, I believe. And it's like, it wasn't lazy. It, in fact, it hustled from point to point. Um, it, It covered a lot of ground. However... The snake bite was is that it wasn't funny. And I actually watched that after I watched Master of None. And I watched that after I watched Years and Years of Park and Recreation. The question of why he's popular could, for me, simply come down to it. maybe it's a result, a dividend of effort. And I know that's not a suitable answer for everything. But he has a sensibility, and if you add the sensibility plus the diligence that he's got, he has worked harder than a lot of other comedians I know, mm-hmm. it will create good bounces. And again, I can't argue with the result of the TV show because the TV show is maybe the greatest example of what this guy does for a living. It's successful because he's presenting something very relatable. And as we know, in the 21st century, in the 2017s, relatability is the coin of the realm. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you can conquer relatability, which this guy has done, and yeah. if, if you can freight relatability with a larger set of issues, then you might be into the conversation about what's, you know, like this is a hot thing. It's not just somebody who's doing like polish up articles for New York Magazine. You're talking about a guy who's being called one of the 10 best blanks of the decade. And- I, I think you're right. Relatability is the number one issue right now. It's. You know, I've said this before, the, the key to successful entertainment these days, how do you get people to buy tickets? You have celebrities. Celebrity is more important than everything else, and relatability is a cousin of celebrity. So yeah, he has mastered relatability. But on my little list of great qualities of stand-ups, that is literally all he's got. All right, fine. He showed up with a notebook. I didn't know about any of this. He did the work. I admire that. One of the things I always admired about stand-up is that stand-up comedy, more than almost any other form of entertainment, I think is uh, the cream rises to the top. 
Yeah. And the people yeah. who make it work, you know, not always, but more than other things, the people who made it work the hardest, the people who made it are the most talented. He clearly worked harder than I did. Fine, he's funnier than I am, certainly. I don't think he's funnier than some other people I care to name who aren't being called the greatest of our generation or whatever. Mm -hmm. I wrote here in my notes, relatable rules all. Relatable mm -hmm. rules all. I think he is, you know, like I said before, he doesn't really speak truth to power. His quote unquote, you know, rebelling is very much in tune with what smart ass, upper middle class, liberal college educated, mostly white people want, in cities want to hear. And I think that people like that. You know, I don't know if, if it's his job is to strike a blow against the forces of evil. It's, and, and it's, it's not his job, but if a comedian manages to wrap that up in their package, it's it, great. Makes, it makes their package all the more appealing to people because they feel like they're being a rebel. They're it being does, cool. But let me they're, add, they're standing up for what they believe in. Let me at this point, though, is I feel like there's, there's a... a gamma radiation here that neither of us are able to pick up on the the visibility the visibility the optics of having a guy like aziz who's indian american well muslim he's tamil from indian india originally right. and and indian american from south his, his, pa his parents are from india but yeah he's, yeah he's, he's first generation yeah the yeah. visibility of having this guy do the job is in effect a lot of semiotic work of breaking down barriers the fact yeah. that he's a brown dude and he's into he's, he's all the specific cultural things which i would only plug into because i become familiar with them through the show not the stand-up because the stand-up there's some mention of the indian parents but the elaboration of that yeah. in the show winds up becoming so much no, more poignant i i think that's great i mean i loved that episode about i like it you know about indians on tv seeing the perspective of, of a culture I know so little about yeah. that media all but ignores, you mm -hmm. know? I mean, he'd be so much worse and so much more a sellout if he whitewashed his act yeah. and never mentioned, not only never mentioned his parents were Indian, but glossed over it. But no, he, he hits that note hard. He does yeah. a deep dive into that topic, at least on the show. His stand-up, again, I didn't last very long. The first note of the Madison Square Garden show is a um, introduction to the idea of immigrant parents working hard so he can have an iPad yeah. run out on a plane as he's flying from yeah. here to yeah, Los no, Angeles. He does, he does, he does say that. And, but, That's yeah, the one time fine. it came up. The rest of his stand-up show I saw was about sociology. It was more about him hitting this note of the relationship between the sexes. It was blanched of the ethnic idea, which is fine. I mean, I'm not here to tell him one way or the other whether he should stand on that point. If you mix in a brown dude who's Asian, South Asian in particular, and the idea that he's going through the Tinder wars and talking about, here's what it's like to be swiped upon. Here's what it's like to swipe. Here's the psychology. And that's when I tuned out. I was listening to in the background because it's, it felt like it was 40 minutes of that and maybe 10 minutes of the stuff that I actually might have cared about of the thing that only he can say and and if you're going to do dating material that doesn't apply to me it's never applied to me so i'm not going to laugh at it because i don't get i don't get the joke it's like doing material about skiing it's like congratulations these this might be great <laughs> material but i've never skied nor am i going to ski and so it's lost on me yeah but isn't it frustrating so much of the stuff we go out for is just stereotypes cab driver scientist it guy yeah but it's not all like that i mean look at this i just got this one today pradeep East Indian man with a spiritual air full of philosophical platitudes. He runs a convenience store, has a funny Indian accent. This is not a good example. Would we have liked to stand up more 
if uh, we had encountered it as young men, if we were 15, 16, or even 22, 23 now? What do you I, think? I don't know if I would have laughed anymore, but I'm, that doesn't disqualify that I wouldn't have enjoyed, them, enjoyed him more. I mean, I think the problem with being the age we're at and having spent as much time around comedy as we both have, you certainly more than me, is that you see the, the green cascading matrix code. There's a little bit of the fun that's taken out of it because you've watched so much of it. Just like I've watched so much movies. I just can't watch any movie now. I see the DNA and blueprints of movie as it works. Uh, That makes me enjoy it. I I can't handle bad comedy because I spent so much time watching shitty comedians at open mics. But in terms of good comedy, I almost appreciate it more. Because when I see a real craftsman, I am not only entertained, you know, i.e. laughing, I am also impressed with the the structure and the craft of it. I enjoy seeing it as an Oje d'Ar, you know, in addition to just, hey, this is funny, I'm laughing. Well, the beautiful part is when it all, the the structure zips away and you are purely carried along on the thing in its most beautiful form. I will totally agree with you on that. It's it's two ways of enjoying something, yeah. I mean, I'm so, like, you don't ever watch a movie and say, wow, you know, I, I... I'm figuring out how they got that shot. I'm very impressed. That makes me enjoy this more. You you never have that feeling. Oh, I do all the time. I'm at the festival. Right. This, I'm at the festival this week, and yeah. I'm there are some movies that I'm cataloging. Wait, the, the festival, the one film festival. New York, the one in town, the only one that really matters. New the York only film festival. film festival in New York City. Got it. Okay. Yeah, that's more or less true. <laughs> believe me. I'm watching these movies, and I am either cataloging the ones where I'm aware of the craft or I'm just enjoying the ones where I'm not aware of the craft. And I, maybe it's different for a comedian, but I, I suspect it's something similar, that there are times where you just sit back and you're just wrapped in watching somebody do something well. And in other times, there is the seeing the bullets aspect of it to conjure the matrix again, where it's moving right. slow enough you can watch the mechanics of it and not just be swift along with the craft. Entertainment now, a lot of it is you know, replaced friends. So what people look for, I don't mean a TV show, I mean real friends. So what people look for in uh, entertainment is something to mimic the experience of hanging out with your most entertaining buddies. Mm -hmm. And this is similar to how I felt about Jimmy Fallon. I don't think these people are really creating great comedy. They're doing, you know, they're doing the stuff that would be fun if your friends sitting around at a a house party or a dinner party were doing would be amusing there. You know, it's not great art it's just an an enjoyable person to hang out with yeah sure and personally i think we need to raise our standards i could have been blown away by master of none thinking that this is the most nutritious tv show there's some messages here that were designed on a high value and again i'm going to divorce the comedy and just sort of go by the tv show at this point and say okay so the standard doesn't appeal to me, but the comedy of the show, the, the actual uh, half-hour-long Netflix show, that's this guy's message. That's the, ve- that's the validity. You know, right. is, is Jerry Seinfeld the TV show that ran forever, or is he the stand-up? Well, at this point, he's done the stand-up all longer than the TV show, but I'm sure a lot of people think of him as the TV guy, and they'll, right. never see, they'll never see the comedy. And so the message that they carry away is he's inside the confines of Kramer and George, and, you know, that's the best use of this guy, you know, and, and I would totally cop to that, and I would be very impressed by that if that's what I'd seen of, of, of Ansari. Uh, well, as for me, would I like this if I were younger? I think I'd like it more. Sometimes I look back on the comedy I loved when I was a kid. I was obsessed with Saturday Night Live. You know, not usually embarrassed by it, but kind of don't understand why I got so excited, like Wayne's World, for example. 
I still think Wayne's World's funny, but I wonder how much of that was nostalgia. Uh, but like even beyond the movie, like I was way into the Saturday Night Live sketches. And I think a lot of what I loved about him is I wasn't that kind of guy. Like it, I didn't listen to Aerosmith and I didn't have long hair, but I was a jerk hanging out with his friends, you know, listening to rock and roll and sitting in a basement. Yeah. So there was, that was part of it. It's, it was relatable to me. It had more jokes, I still think, mm-hmm. than Aziz's stand-up has. So I'm going to say I would have liked this more, but I wouldn't have loved it. Then again, as always with this question, you know, it's an unanswerable question because I would be a different person. There's a second type of dude, the dumb dudes. They're at the bar. They don't care about anything. They're like, give me a shot of Jägermeister. Drop it in a beer with a bunch of other shit. I'll say anything to anybody. And they go up to some girl. They're like, excuse me. Excuse me. Uh, I just wanted to say you look really beautiful tonight. And I was hoping one day I might be able to put my hands on your titties. (laughs) My name's Kevin. Hi, Kevin. I'm Lisa. Do you want to be my boyfriend for three years? So this man, this Ansari, yes. is he yes. a sign of the apocalypse to you, Noah Tarnow? Definitely not. I'm not going to feel great if he wins a Kennedy Center Award or whatever Kennedy Center honors and gets the Mark Twain Humor Prize and, you know, is, is treated like George Carlin or Rodney Dangerfield um, or Richard Pryor. I'm not going to feel great about that. I'm going to feel a little left out and a little like, what do I not understand here? I mean, look, man, somewhat, this is going to sound terrible, but you know who I compare his stand-up to a lot? Who? He is Dane Cook. I thought without, of Dane Cook for, yeah, a different, without, diff, for a different reason, though. Well, for a different well but let me, let me explain. He is the non-bro-y, non-date-rapey Dane Cook. And I think that's too harsh on Dane Cook. I, don't, I mean, I'm sure Dane Cook attracts a lot of that fandom, but I didn't think his act in and of itself was that offensive. I just thought it was stupid. And Dane Cook came and went very fast, and Dane Cook never really bothered me. So I can live with this stand-up being successful. And Master of None is good, so certainly not a sign of the apocalypse. So no, yeah. he, he is, he's, 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 no. I don't think it's the apocalypse. In fact, I think it's the antidote. I think that there's a lot nice. of curative, nice. restorative value in this guy's show. It has a lot to do with the fact that the writing staff is in that same transformative way of Soloway's writing staff on Transparent or Genji Cohan's writing staff on Orange is the New Black. And again, there's, a, there's very few shows you can point at that are doing this in practice where they are making something different out of who's behind the camera, not just yeah. who's in front of it. And yeah. the fact that there are so many people of color running Master of None is a revelation. And yeah. the, the things that I've liked about it, the high places it soared, the dumb look on my face as I'm watching the parent episode, as I'm watching the, uh, the, the Torio de Sica spoof they did in episode one of season two, The Bicycle Thief. Little formal things, I don't know if you, if you even got that far. I didn't. I, the only one I saw in season two was the Bander one. So right. I, I've, I've skipped around a bit. But. Yeah, and the Bander one too. On top of that, the uh, the the Tinder dating, the formality, the formality shift of the Tinder dating. It felt very having been on many Tinder, Bumble, etc. dates. Uh, his experience there felt very true to life, while still being entertaining and still being funny. And yeah. that's all we ask for from comedy. <laughs> and I sometimes pre- it feels like it's asking a lot, but he, he, he got it done in that episode. So hats off. Hats yeah, off. I, I can appreciate that praise. That's a good encomium because, again, yeah. if I the idea of somebody talking about dating in a comedic or dramatic circumstance doesn't mean anything to me because I haven't dated since 1981. I mean, it's been a long time. <laughs> 
And you so, were dating when you were six. Like, I was really, uh, I was fifty six back then. It was on my se- yeah. after my second yeah. wife. And somebody presents comedy to me that's about dating. I just have to take it on face value that there's any truism to it. That it's re- that you know, there's any universality to it. I I can't I couldn't tell you. I'm just looking at it as is this funny or not? It's not the apocalypse because there's he's he's moving the needle with this show. And yeah. sometimes that. Yeah. If he is able to put a flag in the beachhead and say, "This is where I'm go- This is where I begin. I've done comedy for a long time, and he will continue to sell out large venues. He's been all across Europe, all across the United States. However, if it's the show that winds up being his thing, he is imprimatur on comedy. I'm happy with that because it's well worthy of um, planting your flag. I think we need to change this question from, "Is it a sign of the apocalypse?" to is it the apocalypse or is it the antidote to the apocalypse? I think that should be the question. And I think we should live with a mixed metaphor, the antidote to the apocalypse. Yeah. That's, that's the name of the, my other podcast, the antidote yes, to the apocalypse. Yes, the antidote to the apocalypse. Yeah, the mixed metaphor cast. Is that the plan, by the way? We're all going to move, all the minorities, 40-something percent of the country. Every minority's going to move. Beyonce's going to move. Beyonce ain't moving. Is any of your dislike of aspects of Aziz Ansari, the pilot episode of Master of None, his stand-up act, is any of your dislike of that rooted in your jealousy? Aziz Ansari's younger than you. He probably gets better looking women than you. He probably has more money than you. And he certainly uh, is more famous than you. Are, do, do, would you like his work more if you weren't raging, burning with the jealousy of 10,000 white hot suns? That's a big universe you're describing. Yes. Well, so much of his stand-up and a lot of the show in the fringes, well, we haven't discussed it, but it's about lifestyle porn. Oh, and yeah. that's kind of a turnoff when you're just extolling the right and proper meatball shop or you're just talking about <laughs> yeah. bone broth. I hate yeah. that shit. It's yeah. one thing It's one thing to talk about. I know you've always complained about the artisanal hammer store in Williamsburg. It's one of the most annoying things is, is yeah. the Brooklandification of culture. Yeah. Of, youth, of, of white youth culture, yes. Yeah, and well, yeah. it's the aspirational part of showing up at Smorgasburg in Brooklyn to just have pork on this specific day. And by the way, there was a great episode where he came out to his family and said he eats pork and he's sort of really a-religious. But the commodification of lifestyle porn in terms of the food that you eat, and I can't stand the idea that food has turned into a commodity in New York because there's so yeah. many people starving. And it's yeah. a big portion of what he does. I mean, the whole point of him going to Italy in the beginning of the second season is to learn how to make pasta and dough and things like that. And yeah. there's a little bit of it that's craft, but there's also a little bit of it that's lifestyle signaling. I, I, but, but that's existed since time immemorial. Though. It has, but forms. You were, this isn't like Dynasty where you're showing swimming pools and women wearing sequins pushing each other yeah. with champagne glasses into, into uh, you know, nonsense like that. This is something a little different where I almost feel like it cuts into the image that he's purveying, or at least it muddies it, and probably maybe in a way that he's, he intends it to be, which is why it is so um, activating. I mean, I'm jealous of the fact that he's out there FOMOing and I feel like he's trying to live an Instagram life, and he's trying to yeah. telegraph this thing where, oh, I was at the right meatball shop at the right night, and I got the perfect mix of veal and turkey meatball, and they're never going to serve it again. And I just happen to show up at these restaurants and have these cool friends, and there's a very exclusive life going on. I'm not saying I want to hang out with Kanye West, but when you're trying to FOMO me into oblivion, that's yeah. when I start to either get, I get angry 
or upset. And I do get jealous because I feel like you're intending me to be jealous and it's working. You sort of got at it that he's a member of this club that didn't want me. Stand-up is clicky and it is about who you know and who thinks you're great and who welcomes you into your world, into their world. And, and those rooms that aren't open mics for you got to get booked, whatever, you know, they got to like you. They got to see you. They got to like you. They got to think you're going places. Mm -hmm. And when they don't book you in those gigs, it was their way of saying, you know, people weren't mean about it. People didn't go, you suck. But it was their way of saying, like, you don't, you don't make the cut. And yep. that hurts. It hurts your ego. It especially hurts a comedian's ego because no one becomes a comedian if they don't crave attention and uh, oh, yes, validation. Yes, absolutely. Take it from me. So, um, you know, the jealousy is more than just he made it. Do, in a career doing something I tried to do, it's he's in this club that I never got in. I think, that's a, I think that's a big problem with our society. I think a lot of media is like, hey, I'm in the club. Are you in the club? Wow. We have this bad habit of ending on a depressing note. <laughs> and <laughs> We learned something this week, huh? I don't we, hate Aziz Ansari anymore. And but I'm really I'm surprised to have been into the show. I'm, I'm really I'm surprised. Gonna, I'm, I'm going to keep, you know, of all the shows we watch, which am I going to keep watching? I kept watching Death Note. I watched a few more episodes of Riverdale. And I'm definitely going to watch a little more of uh, Master of None, maybe more than a little more. So thank you, William. Some of these have to be wins. Some of these can't just be biased. Some, they Some got of them got to be good. It's uh, the law of averages states that we're going to stumble upon quality. Well, if you'd like to find past episodes, look to iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. Tweet us at Noah and Bill Show. Write to us at Noah and Bill Don't Get It at gmail.com. Visit I Don't Get It podcast. Go on iTunes. Give us a review. You will find my very busy Twitter feed at William Scurry, where I'm jawboning about movies and podcasts I'm on, like Wrong Real, talking about Dune and John Sales, among other things. Look for me on YouTube. A.M. Caesar. That's where you'll find my short film output. Noah Tarno, what about you? Uh, I'm all about BigQuizThing.com, the Big Quiz Thing, uh, corporate and private trivia events all over the country, booking holiday parties now, booking non-holiday parties now. Uh, and uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Noah Tarno, where I talk about politics and karaoke and anything else that floats through my transom. That's awesome, man. You know, I, I got to say, I'm, I'm having these small offline conversations with listeners like Melissa Zilvestri and, and Scott Thoreau, guys in New York. I, I, the thing is, I bump into these people and you don't, so I'm, I'm a little more privileged socially. But I'm really happy with what people have to say, and so we really appreciate the listeners. And, and if Absolutely. you see me, come up, whatever, Facebook, just, just get in touch with us because we love that we, we feed upon the bone marrow of your reactions. We, feed, we crack it open and lustily suck it from your <laughs> yes. so until next time this is one of the rare instances where we get it and we might actually enjoy it but next time we guarantee you we will not get it a production of American Caesar Enterprises 2017